Are you ready to become the top in your field? Welcome to the Tradeswoman Talk podcast, a show designed for you, one that strives to forge solidarity amongst tradeswomen. For years, this has been a predominantly male-driven industry. However, we are now entering a new era, one where whatever we truly desire can be ours. Like we have been saying, jobs don't have genders. On this show, we'll share information with each other as a collective to empower each other. Share with us your trade secrets as we share ours with you. It's our time to do more than survive. It's our time to thrive. We're happy to have you here with us on the Tradeswoman Talk podcast. And now your hosts of the show, Judalyn, Cassidy, and Andrea Harris. Tradeswoman Talk is brought to you by SupplyHouse.com, home to over 180,000 plumbing, heating, and HVAC supplies. SupplyHouse.com offers pros free shipping, returns, exclusive deals, and a dedicated phone line as part of their Trades Master program. SupplyHouse.com is also devoted to putting trades professionals in the spotlight with the Trade Master of the Month program. Each month, a SupplyHouse.com Trades Master is featured, allowing them to share their stories and experiences of working in the trades. You can nominate a Trades Master of the Month by visiting SupplyHouse.com slash TM of the Month. Hello, and thanks for joining me, and welcome, welcome. Um, thanks for joining me on another episode of Trades Women Talk. My name is Judalyn Cassidy. I am a plumber, keynote speaker, and a CVO, which is the Chief Visionary Officer of Tools and Tiaras, Inc. And hi, I'm Andrea Harris, only female cement mason, at the FDNY, amazing mother to a 12-year-old boy, co-director of, at Tools and Tiaras, and Real Cement Mason in the Dove Beauty Bar commercial. Hey, thanks. And today on this episode, our guest is Antonia Devine. She's an architect, mother, and a board member of Tools and Tiaras. Before we get in our our chat with Antonia, we would read, um, Andrea's going to read her bio, her very impressive bio that impressed me. Antonia Devine. Antonia is an AIA lead, AP, is a director of design and development at JDS Development Group, a real estate development and construction firm in New York City and Miami. Antonia oversees projects throughout the planning, designs, coordination, and construction phases Prior to joining JDS, she was an architect at Combs, Henderson Fox Associates, and Global Architectural Design Firm. She worked in New York, London, and Hong Kong offices. Devine graduated from Princeton University in 2008 with a degree in art and archaeology. She earned her Master's of Architecture, first professional degree, MArc 1, from Yale University School of Architecture in 2013. Hey, Antonia, thanks for joining us. Um, we are so happy and honored that you're here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I've been listening to all the podcasts and I'm 
thrilled to be on it. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. But sister, before we get into our chat and learning and for our audience to know more about you, we have this really fun icebreaker segment we call Five and Five. I give you five questions and you only have two choices. Remember, your choice may not have been in there, but you got to choose one of the two. So and I'm ready. You're ready. She's ready. It's time to hit the slopes. Skiing or snowboarding? I've actually never done either. I think I'd prefer skiing. I agree. I totally agree. Um, it's been a tough day of meetings with contractors, builders, and government agencies. How do you unwind? Bubble bath or glass of wine? Glass of wine. A hundred percent a glass of wine. <laughs> Which country took your breath away and always reminds you of an amazing photograph? Spain or Italy? Italy. Nice. You gained the dreaded COVID-19-15. Time to get back in shape. I did. I did. Absolutely. <laughs> Time to get back in shape, Antonia. Pilates or spin bike? Pilates. I also had a baby during COVID, so I have to take off the baby weight and the COVID-15. So Pilates plus running is my answer. She cheated. Again, typical. I cheated. I'm sorry. (laughs) Always cheat. Um, Last question. Design style choice. Minimalist or shabby chic? Minimalist. Definitely. So just like me. (laughs) Thank you so much. You see, it was not. I made it. That was fine. That was what I was expecting. I was so scared. No, everybody always thinks it's going to be. It's really fun. And it's it's also our way and my way and getting, you know, of knowing you better uh, by your choices. So in your bio, it it was stated that you studied architecture and archaeology. What stirred your interest in archaeology? So... It actually, it's a the name that Princeton gives the department, but it actually should be called art history. I think that 200 years ago when they started the department, there were more budding archaeologists, but the name is just a holdover. Uh, so it's kind of a misnomer. Um, I've always wanted to be an architect. I grew up looking at um, floor plans that my mom, who was a real estate broker, would bring home. I would take white out and a pen and start changing the layouts, which was very frustrating for her because she needed those, <laughs> those floor plans, those deal sheets, but I thought it was great. Um, and I also grew up in Chelsea in lower Manhattan, which had incredible growth and change during the eighties and the nineties. So it felt like I was watching this life-size Lego set grow up around me. And that was really inspiring. Um, And then on top of that, I just love to draw and do blocks and Legos. Um, But I knew that when I got to college, I wanted to um, do something that was related, but maybe not dive in immediately. And so the history of art, specifically the history of architecture, was a great opportunity. And I uh, ended up writing my thesis and studying um, uh, church architecture, medieval church architecture, which was very surprising to me. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. Wow, nice. That's so wonderful to hear. Now, you mentioned that you had a baby during COVID. I did. So BC, before COVID, <laughs> what was work-life balance like for you as a mom in the in the um, construction industry? Because architecture is still construction. What was work-life balance for you? 
Well, so it's both. You know, I, I work as an architect and I, I work in our office as design coordinator, design director, and then also as a construction site as a, um, a CM. So I get all sorts of those different work environments. Um, it, I think it's always a struggle to find balance. Uh, I'm very lucky that I have a very supportive family, very involved husband, wonderful nanny, wonderful grandparents. Um, but I just try to uh, make sure that I have a full work day. So I work, you know, eight to six, Monday to Friday, and then I'm always on my couch at the end of the day working after the kids <laughs> go to bed at second shift that I think most parents do. Um, but but I think that the struggles are the same for, for most parents anywhere. Um, the f- funny thing is that, you know, occasionally they'll see me in my Tim's or my hard hat and they have no idea. My three-year-old has no <laughs> idea what I'm wearing. It's very strange for her. It doesn't look like your standard office wear. Oh, man, that's funny. Um, I, I remember my uh, friend's kids uh, used to come for the summer and they've always seen me as the dress-up person with the stilettos, the bags. And then they saw me construction clothes and they called their mom and said, she looks weird. Like, you know, they so used to one, like you said, one image of you that they couldn't imagine the dirty clothes and the Timberlands and the... The, the dusty Timberlands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I haven't worn stilettos in two years. Wow. I, I, I have a hard time walking in them now. Like, I, too. my favorite. As a community, in the, uh, as part of the community of the design and uh, build industry, we want to attract more young girls to careers in STEM. What do you think parents, schools, and, in, and our nation should do to make this a reality for girls? That's a great question. I think it really comes down to early exposure. I think the younger that you know that it's that the architecture and construction industry are viable jobs and viable paths for you, the more likely you are to to be interested in them. I remember we had a carpentry class in third grade, and it was just for one rotation. And that was it. And never again. And I was so excited that this existed, that shop existed or carpentry existed. So I think my all-girls school was doing a little bit to introduce us, but could have done more. Um, I don't know a single high school that offers a real architecture design class or studio or history of architecture. It's something that you study in college. Um, And I think that schools should continue to make their uh, their STEM offerings, their physics, their math classes more robust. Uh, and I think you should also do as much as you can to make those classes exciting in real world contexts. Like, you know, physics experiments are really fun if you're dropping an egg off of a balcony <laughs> or, you know, ways to really understand that um, it's applicable to real life. And I think that that's what gets little kids excited. You know, here at Tools and Tiaras, we are always teaching our girls to be fearless. What have you as a board director and, and participating in some of the activities that we have here at Tools and Tiaras, what have you learned from our girls here at Tools? I have a, the perfect story for this. I, I'm so excited to recount the story. So I think it was last summer, uh, many of the Tools and Tiaras team came with me for a tour of my 111 West 57th Street project site. 
uh, JDS was really excited to invite everyone to, to come take a tour. And we had girls that ranged from, I think it was like eight to 16. And everyone had their hard hat and their boots and were being very, very careful and safe. And I asked everyone at the end of the tour if they wanted to come up to the 80th floor which is the very top of the, you know one of the tallest buildings in the city. And I was expecting so many people to say, no, it's too tall, I'm too scared. Every single girl and their moms got into that hoist <laughs> and got up to the very top. I've taken adults on tours who refused to go <laughs> higher than the 30th floor. The fact that there were girls who were ready to do it was so exciting to me. They didn't realize that it was going to be scary, that it didn't occur to them to say no. They were so engaged and so loving this tour. Uh, and that was really inspiring and exciting. That was real bravery, I thought. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, one story I will tell that you probably forgot about, and it just melt my heart, uh, was uh, during uh, Halloween, one of the young girls who Antonia taught in the architecture workshop wanted to be an architect for Halloween. I love that. And she yeah. reached out to Antonia to get ideas and stuff. And you, you are part of fueling a dream for a lot of girls. And I really think uh, one of your answers you said earlier, I think we as Tools and Tiaras and a community need to start finding a way to get architecture into the schools the way we do it. Absolutely. So I really think that's something we will have to work on and start uh, pitching that um, uh, for the girls because I really saw them light up and they looked at you up there when we were all looking up at you as a superhero. And you saw their faces change. Yeah, their faces change. I also think that it's it's exciting to realize that something as as seemingly simple as arranging your room or your space or your desk all of those things are 3D spatial challenges. And that's architecture, just writ small. And there's a way to do that at the scale of a house or a building or a city. But I think once you can connect that, that you can think about your space and your life and then make that a career, that's really exciting. And that's one of the connections that we need to really make and underscore in schools. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. What do you love and feel passionate about at your, as your, at your current role as Director of Design and Development and what task you wish you could subcontract out? <laughs> the the first part of that question is very easy. I love everything. I have thought for a long time that an architect in a traditional practice doesn't get to see the full building life cycle. And that's a real disservice. They're doing themselves and their, their skill set a disservice. The best thing or one of the many great things about my role is that I get to follow a project and lead projects from the very beginning of acquiring the site all the way through having the last tenant or owner move in and, you know, putting in that last doorknob and being part of that process is so exciting. Uh, And you're using different parts of your brain at different parts of the journey. But I think ultimately connecting all of those components, the owner, architect, contractor phases and um, ways of thinking just makes you a better architect. So many other components get mushed together and you say, oh, this is how you think about a budget or a timeline. Oh, this is how I design something to make it buildable and um, uh, you know look beautiful, but but constructible. And so that's really wonderful. I feel like I've become a better architect, even though I'm not working in a traditional architectural practice on a daily basis. 
What would you love to subcontract out? Like I have mine for tools and tiaras. What would you love to subcontract out? And you would say, I would give this to somebody else to do. Not that you, it's part of your job you do it, but if you can subcontract it out, what would you subject? I think some of the scheduling the deliveries on the site. Sometimes I feel like I'm always looking at someone and saying they're an hour late, they're stuck in traffic, this messes with my schedule, and you have to call people and they're like, I'm stuck on this bridge, I'm stuck on this tunnel. And so I spend a lot of my time chasing, you know, schedules and trying to make things go in on time. Um, and I wish I could just have somebody else calling everyone and saying, You're five minutes late. Where are you? <laughs> yeah. As much as you love your job, we all love our job. There's always something you can subcontract out. I would do emails in a heartbeat and writing up board agendas and anything to do with writing. I want to You're so good at that. <laughs> Andrea, you, what would you subcontract? For, for me, it would be demo. Like I hate demo day or demo week or demo month. It would just be demo. So when loud, you just so it's so loud and you have to look and see what's going on. I'm so over demo. And it's been so long, but you know, that's something that I would definitely give away. Like, here, take it, take it, take it. <laughs> yeah, no, mine is the mine is the nagging people or following up or asking for you know this. It, 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 um, I think that's what I would what I would sub out. Um, Antonia, I every every person in their career has met someone who has influenced them in their line of work. Someone who sits with them will give you keywords that you remember pretty much for the rest of your life, the rest of your career. For me, it was my old boss, Miller. I remember being on the job and he told me when I was just a wee little cement mason apprentice and he would tell me, you see those men over there? When everyone messes up, when they mess up, no one notices. When you mess up, everyone sees. Who was the most challenging or influential instructor that sat with you throughout your field, your career, your life? These are good questions. I was really (laughs) proud about this. I would say that my first semester studio architecture professor, Ava Lisa Pelconen, uh, I've been very lucky. I have had incredible bosses, mentors. Um, I've been very, really, really lucky. But Ava Lisa was one of the first people to say that architecture is about people and space. It's not just about a pretty facade or a pretty material that you are designing buildings for people to spend their lives in. And when you're a first semester, in your first semester studio as a first semester architecture student, you were so overwhelmed. You were so tired. You're pulling all-nighters and you're doing drawing after drawing, model after model, and you kind of lose the reason why you're spending this time and this money at architecture school. And so bringing it back to that simplicity of saying architecture is for people grounded me and reminded me of what the bigger picture was. And it was just a simple thing to say. And the other thing that she said very wisely was that your life is like a chapter book where the chapters might not make sense one after the other, but they do in terms of the overall picture of your life. And that was also very reassuring because architecture is a profession where you can do a variety of things at different times, working for a firm, working for yourself, public, private, academia. Um, and you might feel a little bit disjointed in between. Also, if you throw in motherhood into the mix. And so it was a nice reminder that you are thinking about your career over a 50-year span. And at the end of your career, that's when it will all make sense. 
So thank you, Evelisa. Yeah, that it's it's so important that we all find someone to um, mentor and to mentor us to, and to help us through those difficult times. But you probably was thinking, what am I doing this? I want to quit. And hearing those words probably pushed you to, to the next level. Um, what, yeah. What Absolutely. skill sets do you think, like if uh, a young lady's listening to us or a woman who's like, I want to make a career switch. And, and I think Antonia, you just made uh, architecture look sexy. What can I, <laughs> yeah. what, what, what qualities should they have or um, have or need really to be, uh, uh, to think like an architect? What are some of those qualities and skill sets? That, that's really interesting to think about. Um, I think that historically, the role of the architect, you know, you're seen as this creative solo genius, and you can be as difficult as you like, but you have the brilliant idea. And so things like creativity, perseverance, maybe pigheadedness were even prized. I think that now, about 10 years into my you know, postgraduate career, I understand that psychology, communication, uh, understanding how to work in a group are really important. Um, and also understanding that in some ways, creating the design is easy, but you run into all of these real world issues like uh, government requirements, zoning, uh, constructability issues. And so you have to have a bit of flexibility, which I don't think is something that you're really taught at school. Like you come up with the best design, but you have to be able to constantly pivot and then make the design work. Because at the end of the day, you're not an artist. You're an ar architect is a three-dimensional real profession. It's not just something on a piece of paper. And so learning how to balance all of those different variables to multitask, to communicate, to, to um, work together as a team are really quite in important, I would say. I see that you have worked in London, Hong Kong, New York, all of those wonderful cities yes. that so many people would love to visit. What projects and in what country has stayed with you the most? In each country, you could just name one. It, it could be in whatever country. It doesn't have to be any of the ones that I've named. But what project you're like, I did that. Yes. And you can pat yourself <laughs> on the shoulder and just flex your muscles on it. What project? Yes. <laughs> I'll give you one for each city. So when I was in London as a lowly architecture intern for Cohen Pedersen Fox, I worked on the renovation of uh, a series of buildings in historic Covent Garden. And that was really wonderful because you were taking this existing infrastructure and putting in contemporary housing that still respected the environment. And so that was really exciting to understand that you could do cool work within a city while still taking the history quite seriously. Um, and I think that's important now building my career in New York, which has, you know, buildings that are one to 200 years old. And then in Hong Kong, I really loved working on um, the renovation of the Landmarks retail pro portfolio. That was really fun for me. My, I think the project where I learned the most in some ways about architecture and also about how to balance development and construction was on the Fitzroy in New York City, which is this beautiful um, jewel box of a residential project on 24th between 10th and 11th in Chelsea. And JDS was the construction manager, and we found ourselves building a terracotta building. And I believe it was it's one of the first in hundreds of years to be done in a very traditional masonry fashion, 
where you're building the building brick by brick, block by block. And that was thrilling because we had to take into consideration the standard facade, waterproofing and roofing issues uh, and using all of the technical advances and the contemporary products that we have while also having the facade be this very old school uh, cast by hand, updated, you know, tweaked with a toothbrush kind of project. And so getting to go to Boston Valley Terracotta Warehouse up in Buffalo and seeing them make 5,600 blocks, 500 different types alone was pretty amazing. And I, it was one of those opportunities where you see that you're going from a drawing set on a computer or a sketch by hand and that that translates to really real three-dimensional pieces that are going in block by block to make a facade that encloses a building where people live. So it really broke down for me the, the steps and the components of architecture in an exciting way. And I was on the scaffolding every single day. I was, I learned more about facade products and waterproofing and roofing products, um, where the vapor barrier goes, all of those things that you learn about in some degree in school, but then you get to see in practice, which is really exciting. Yeah, I think I think it would have been great if you and Andrea could have worked together on that job. She being a cement mason. I know. <laughs> and we had we've been fortunate and it really made the job site a lot better. Like when I had opportunities to work with Andrea and to see um women like you being in project managers and, and, and stuff like that. It really changed the culture of the job site. The more we see amazing women leading and taking the, these roles on the job site. Yeah, absolutely. What is one, what is something you do differently than most people? Something that I do differently than most people. It could be something with food. Like like me, I don't like to have any of my condiments on my food. It has to be at the side. <laughs> like, like if I have ketchup or mayo, I don't like it on the thing. Even though it's all going the same place, I like it separate until I do. I get it. You and my toddler, you also like, she likes to have everything very, very separate. So what is the one thing you do? There's nothing to think about. So, okay. So if, if, if we're on food, I think the answer is that um, I think of, I really love coffee. I drink a lot of coffee every day and I like the taste of it, but it's really just a caffeine source. So the goal is to get it into my system and into my bloodstream as quickly as possible. And so I will make a French press of coffee and and, you know, I put espresso on top of that. But then I put in a couple of ice cubes so that I can make it not cold, but just a little cooler so that I can chug it. Because if it's hot and I have to drink it slowly, I'm not getting my caffeine quickly. Oh, wow. You know what? I just got into the French press and there's the best cup of coffee. Ever, like I am so addicted now. So, uh, but I can't believe you destroying it, Antonia, by putting ice in. Yeah, no, 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 it's bad. That's why I say I'm the only one who does that. My husband thinks it's so weird. I need to get the caffeine into my system as quickly as possible. Well, well, I don't know what it is that I do that's different. It's it's something to think about. I I don't like when. I'm getting dressed and my feet are on the floor. I need to have my socks on right away. Like right away. <laughs> like even out the shower, feet dry. First thing I dry is my feet, lotion, moisturize, socks. Yes. 
So I didn't. I never thought yeah. about that. I need my socks. See, I come up. That's I it. come up with some really good questions. Like one thing, you know. Right? So you do. So, um, you know, it's just a pleasure having you and I'm just like so honored that you, you know, I speak at a lot of different events and that people ask me to come and tell my story. And sometimes people reach out to you. And I was just so happy that you reached out to me. And I felt this connection of like, I must get her to be on the board. I didn't even know you. I didn't even Google you. And I just felt <laughs> like, I'm going to Well, I want to recount how I met you. Like, I mean, this, this was, a, this was me really fangirling for you. I went to a a 92nd Street Y event for Extraordinary Women. I think it was 2018. My friend Lindsay Krauss, thank you, Lindsay, invited me. And you were on stage and you were talking. And I think in the middle of the event, I was linked in messaging you to ask how I could get involved. And then, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Google. But immediately I said, this is the person who I would like to get to know more. So I'm glad you felt that connection. Yeah, I, I really do. And a lot of people, a lot of things in life, I work off of uh, vibration and energy. And I just felt that connection to you. And I, I'm, I'm really just like so, so happy that you were part of the organization and, and helped guide me because as as phenomenal as I am, and the world feminist plumber, I still, you know, we all need help. And to have a tribe of amazing women like you are part of Tools and Tiaras, I am just so happy. So I want to ask you a question and then Andrea can ask you her final question. I have this question that I love to ask a woman. If you can wake up tomorrow morning and instantly change the world for women and girls, what would you change and why? I would try to instill the confidence in women and girls that they don't need to do things perfectly. I think women think more that everything that they do needs to be absolutely perfect. Um, they have to do all of the reading. They have to do the, their assignments perfectly. They have to have read every single email. And just looking at my husband, I think that men do not think that way. Uh, I, I think that, you know, done is better than perfect. And I think that a lot of times that's just the right, you know, you have to think about your um, economy of your resources and your time and prioritizing your time. And sometimes you can't be perfect. But uh, I think that women and girls worry more about that than men do. So whatever little gene or tweak you could make uh, to give them the confidence that to wake up for their day and say, nope, I'm good. I'm doing it right. Don't need to overthink this would be would be really helpful. Yeah, I really like that. I'm going to steal that line that you just said. And done Excellent. is better <laughs> than perfect because I'm a perfectionist. Done is better than perfect. I'm a perfectionist yes. and I suffer with migraine headaches because I try to do everything perfect. I will take a piece of pipe that looks like it's a little bit too long to cut off a quarter inch. Like, so I really like that. I'm going to use that as i uh, put it up on my law up there. I have in my office of words, but done, you know, is better, perfect. Done is better than perfect. I also try to live by a hope for the best plan for the worst. That's my other, that's my other motto that I have up on the board. And actually my colleague, Marcy Clark sent me an email that had a piece of art on it from the Whitney that said, it always seems impossible until it's done. And that's also really good to keep in mind. You think that it, you're just going uphill, uphill, but it, it, it gets done. It seems impossible. And then it's not. My final question. It's an easy one. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what, what, when the world opens up after this 
pandemic that we're all living through, what is the first thing that you would like to do to bring your life back to normalcy, to make you feel like you have returned to normalcy? So it's actually, it's two things, one big, one small. I was reading a book the other day and there was a very simple scene where the two main characters shook hands. When was the last time that you shook hands with a stranger or just said, like made physical contact? So I think when that happens, I'm going to really feel back to normal. Just walking into a meeting and shaking hands with somebody or tapping them on the back. Those are not things that we do now. Um, And then from a bigger picture, I think the ability to get on an airplane and and go take a vacation and not be really anxious, that will be really exciting. Take a family vacation with the kids, not worry if my three-year-old takes off her mask. So so I think that's it. Nice, nice. So Antonia, if um, someone wants to connect with you after hearing you and would love to have you as a speaker or have you on one of these amazing panels, how can someone connect with you? And we will also put it in the show notes, but how can someone connect with you? Of course. I, I mean, I can give out my Gmail address. That's okay. Um, I also have a website that I put up in architecture school that has all of my grad school projects on it. I don't think I've updated it in a decade, but you can see what uh, architecture school Antonio was like. Uh, and, um, but yeah, I think that email or LinkedIn is probably the best. And I actually went onto your website and it's beautiful and you should start by doing, she takes the most <laughs> beautiful photographs. Like I was going through them and you view, you have a really, cool view of things because I love photographs and pictures and they were really cool. So sister, you got to start by posting these things on um, Instagram, LinkedIn, because your view is really amazing. The way you have, there was one with the rebar on your feet and then there was one with build. I remember because I thought I saw people like when I interview people, I get into them. Like I want to get to know you sister. And I just love your photographs. And I think it's a gift that you have. So check out, go on our website. I'll put the links in there and check out how amazing photographs. That's very kind. I think it's, Construction sites are beautiful. Construction sites are beautiful. They have all of these incredible materials and there's really beautiful work that's happening. And I think it's um, it's just a matter of capturing some of those, some of those moments, the tangle of rebar, the concrete being poured and then smoothed. Uh, it's a really lovely, it's a really lovely thing to see. Yeah. And And some of the best views of the city as well. 100% 100% really incredible. Nothing like a view from a hoist. They don't know what they're missing, Antonio. We get to see that. Andrea, <laughs> anything um, you would like to say before we close out? I would like to thank Antonio for taking the time out today to sit and chat with us um, and, and, giving us a better, and giving us a better insight, um, not only to architecture, but as far as what life is like as a woman in the architecture world. So thank you, Antonia. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Yeah, Antonia, I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. And we, Andrew and I, really appreciate you sharing your time, your story, and your knowledge with us. And for all you people listening out there, um, to our voices and hearing her story, there is, you know, just know that there is somebody out there waiting for you to show up and lift them up and show them how magnificent they are. So enjoy your day and please come on, listen to different episodes of Trades Women Talk. Give us a review. Till next time, we really wish you all the best uh, for you, your family, your coworkers, and your friends. Thank you. 
We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Tradeswoman Talk Podcast. Stay connected. Visit www.toolsandtiaras.org. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Tools and Tiaras. If you would like to connect with us, please send us an email through info at toolsandtiaras.org. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and review. Until next time, make sure you let someone know how magnificent they truly are.